have no hands but yours to tend my sheep. No handkerchief but yours to dry the eyes of those who weep. I have no arms but yours with which to hold the ones grown weary from the struggle and weak from growing Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service. Above all, I'll seek out light, love, and helping hands being shared between our many neighbors on this planet, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. I have no way to open people's eyes Except that you will show them how to trust the inner My guest today on Spirit in Action is Gigi Pomerantz. Gigi is a Jewish nurse practitioner doing her part to be a force for health, peace, and good in the world. Recently, that includes work in Haiti, including dry composting toilets to help agricultural productivity while improving health. But that just scratches the surface of Gigi's living out of Tikkun Alom, restoration of the world. Gigi grew up as a Reformed Jew in New York City, but is part of the Reconstructionist arm of Judaism and is a member of Congregation Shir Hadash in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She has been active with their Social Action Committee for 20 years and is active with Tikkun Ha'ir, a Milwaukee organization bringing together Orthodox, Conservative, Reformed, Reconstructionist, and other Jews, integrating the study of Jewish texts with social action. But her newest passion is Haiti which she visited as part of a medical mission sponsored by St. Thomas Aquinas of Naperville. Gigi has organized a specific program for health in Haiti and will be traveling there in January of 2007 on the first phase of this program. Good morning, Gigi. Thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Good morning. I understand you have some guests there who may interrupt us during the interview. Who are they? They're from... Progressive Patriots, Russ Feingold's group, and they are in Milwaukee for a four-day training before they go out to join campaigns across the country to help progressives win in the November election. 
Were you raised as part of a progressive family? Yeah, I would say so. My mother was a union organizer. She's a teacher, was very much involved in the AFL in New York when I was growing up. One of my proudest moments of my mother was when I was a junior in high school when they went on strike and they threatened to put her in jail. I thought that was very exciting. I take it she didn't go? No, she didn't go. The union won, I guess. Well, the way I got a hold of you, Gigi, is through our mutual friend Eli, involved with your project for Haiti. Could you tell us a little bit about that project going to Haiti? Yeah, I was in Haiti on a medical mission in February. And while I was there, we had a community meeting with the local people to do a needs assessment. And they came up with quite a long list of things that they need in terms of health. And prevention was one of the areas that has always interested me as a nurse practitioner. One of the things that they mentioned was sanitation and the terrible problem of intestinal parasites and and, uh, infections. And while we were sitting in that meeting, I happened to be looking at a booklet that someone had brought along, a booklet on sanitation put out by the Hesperian Foundation in conjunction with the UN Development Program. So I'm reading through this booklet, and it's about developing sanitation in the developing world. One of the models that they talk about is something called the dry ecological toilet, and it really intrigued me. And I thought, wow, this is so interesting. And it looked very simple to do. You know, you just kind of build a structure, and there it was. So when I got back to Milwaukee, I started to think about it, and I started to write to some of the people I had met in Haiti, and I kind of put it out to the world that this is something I was interested in doing, and it's kind of blossomed from there. What organization were you there in Haiti with? I went to Haiti with a Catholic church St. Thomas Aquinas of Naperville. This is actually an amazing congregation. It's a very large Catholic congregation in a pretty wealthy suburb of Chicago. And they have basically adopted this town as their project. I don't know how else to say it. This congregation funds 29 teachers in the town year-round so that there are now 2,400 children in this town in school. They, since we were there, currently pay a physician and an assistant, so they now have a full-time medical person in the community. They have provided a generator and hung electric lines so that there is actually access to electricity in part of the town, which previously had none. They have provided 200 families with water purification systems and are looking to create a hydroelectric plant, not a plant, but some kind of hydroelectric system to expand the access of the electricity because the cost of diesel has gotten to be too high. So they're amazing. They send down periodically medical missions, dental missions, ophthalmology missions, and they serve the town. is about 7,000 people, but the greater area is about 20,000, and they provide service to as many of those folks as possible. When you say that all of Naperville is involved in this, are you talking about just the church or are you talking about the entire town? Just the church. It's about a 5,000-member church, so it's pretty big. And again, it's a pretty wealthy community, so they're very generous with their money. How did you, a Jew, get connected with this Catholic church mission? (laughs) I've wanted to do developing world work for a long time and for various personal reasons that the timing had not been right previously. 
and a friend of mine had sent me an email that this group was sending a medical mission and was looking for a nurse practitioner to join them. They needed some additional staff. So the moment I got the email, I called up the contact person, and uh, I, I, we just made we clicked. The group that I went down with was just wonderful, dedicated people with a lot of energy to help and really caring, and it was wonderful. And it was a, actually, I think, a great cross-cultural experience of both American and Haiti, but also Jew and Catholic. And I had a great opportunity to share with the priest in the parish down in Haiti and with the people on the group and share Shabbat with them while I was there. It was really quite wonderful. And for those of our listeners who don't speak Hebrew or who aren't used to Jewish terminology, Shabbat is what we call in English Sabbath. Right, right. And Shabbat has uh, certain rituals and traditions that go along with it. While we were there, every meal we made a blessing, and they asked different people to share a blessing, and I offered to make the blessings on Shabbat, on the Sabbath, with the ritual lighting of candles and breaking of bread and blessing over the wine, and actually even did a little Torah, what we call it, in Hebrew we call it drash, which is just kind of a little talk on the Torah portion of the week. So that was very exciting. I believe that Haiti is a Catholic nation. Did you work with other Jews there, or are there other Jews in Haiti? I heard that there is a congregation in Port-au-Prince. I didn't explore that we weren't in Port-au-Prince, so I don't know. Haiti is 80% Catholic and 19.9% <laughs> Protestant, and I don't know, point one. But also, it's probably... 50% or more voodoo. They mix the voodoo in with their Christian religion. I'd like a little background on your Jewish history. That is to say, what form of Judaism did you grow up with and what portion of Judaism do you connect with now? I grew up in Reform, but in a very secular family. But from a very young age, I always had a very spiritual leaning my mother actually would call herself an atheist, and my father was pretty much of a Zionist, and I really don't know what his spiritual beliefs were. But I always had a more of a, a leaning towards kind of finding where God fit in my life. When I came to Milwaukee, actually probably not when I came here, but at some point living in Milwaukee, a Reconstructionist congregation was formed, and as I learned about them, it seemed to fit me more. Reconstructionism believes that tradition has a voice but not a veto. It looks to make Judaism very living and relevant in modern life. It believes that God is a force or a power that operates in the universe but doesn't view God in anthropomorphic terms. So if we think about the hand of God operating in the world, we don't actually think about a hand. We really think about what the force of that is. You know, in Judaism, there is a belief in messianic age, and many people believe that there will be a Messiah that will return, as the Christians believe that the Messiah will return. The Jews believe the Messiah will come. But in Reconstruction, we believe that there will be a messianic age that we are responsible for bringing, and that is through repairing the world. So all of that fit really well with my personal belief system, and that's how I came to Reconstructionism as my spiritual home.
answers Look for God in life On distant planets Have your faith in The ever after While each of us holds inside the map To the labyrinth And heaven's here on earth
Tracy Chapman's song, Heavens Here on Earth. You're listening to an interview with Gigi Pomerantz of Milwaukee. She's organizing a new project with respect to Haiti, a project that combines elements of both health work and sustainable agriculture. She's a member of Congregation Shir Hadash down in Milwaukee. Tell me a little bit about your congregation there in Milwaukee. It's a small, very intimate congregation. We have about 90 households. We have a half-time rabbi, and we, by intention, will keep him half-time because we really believe in participation of the congregation. Half of our services are lay-led. Social activism is an underlying theme of importance in our congregation. We have a very active social justice committee, and the congregation comes together on social justice issues frequently and it's it's uh, you should come down and check us out i'll have to do it on one of the weekends when i'm down in milwaukee area uh, you mentioned a social action committee that's part of your congregation i think you were active with it for quite a number of years weren't you yeah yeah i am we meet monthly and a lot of times our meetings are actually discussing the issues that are important in milwaukee and figuring out Uh, how we can be active in them. We work in conjunction with an organization that I am president of in Milwaukee, Tikkun Ha'ir. Because we're a small congregation, in order to have sufficient numbers for certain projects, it helps to partner with other people. And so we do that with Tikkun Ha'ir. Tikkun Ha'ir is an organization that partners for congregations across the Jewish spectrum, Reform, Reconstructionist, Conservative, Orthodox, and students at Hillel in Milwaukee, which is a Jewish student youth group, to be active in the Milwaukee justice scene. That sounds like quite a stretch across the theological spectrum, all the way from Orthodox to Reformed. How did that work out? Because I'm imagining that on the Orthodox side there might be more of an emphasis on let's study Torah, And on the other side, I think there might be more call to, well, let's get out there and do things right now. Right. Well, there is certainly some of that. The organization actually started the Reform and the Orthodox congregations sharing Shabbat and saying, we would like to do stuff together. And it grew from there. So I think that's really interesting that it started kind of at the opposite ends of the spectrum and filled in the middle. (laughs) And Judaism really dictates that we should help our brother and so it's a matter of helping us to find who our brother is (laughs) and that's part of the role of tikkun ha'ir is to help people across the spectrum look at what judaism says and how we can be effective in the city of milwaukee where the problems are really so so severe right now some religious groups take the idea of neighbor and they interpret it in a pretty limited sense like it's only the person who's part of your congregation. 
How does Tikkun Ha'ir interpret it, and how far does it reach out into the community for them? Tikkun Ha'ir takes a broader view than that, that our brother is, or our sister, as it were, (laughs) is anybody in our community, that we are all responsible for one another. Tikkun Ha'ir, the words, come from the phrase Tikkun Olam, which in Hebrew means repair of the world. This is I think maybe a Hasidic, which is the mystical branch of Orthodox Judaism, Hasidic belief that when the world was formed, there was a vessel, and God was trying to make room somehow in the vessel, and the vessel exploded. And all the little pieces were out there in the universe. Our task in the world is to repair that, is to try to put all those little shards back together again and form a complete vessel. Of course, it's an impossible task. We will never be able to reform this, and I think people know that. But nonetheless, we are, we are instructed that we must continue the task no matter what. There is a line from Mishnah, which is one of our commentaries on Torah, which says, you are obligated to work to repair the world no matter that you can't finish the task. So that's what we're doing. We're trying little by little, in whatever way possible, to repair the world. Is this a view from the liberal progressive end of Judaism, or is this a pretty mainstream view that occurs throughout Judaism? I think it's pretty mainline. Just people, you know, find the different places to do it. But Judaism as a whole says our job is to repair the world. And some people may find repairing the world just means good relations with your neighbor, whether it's your actual next-door neighbor or your congregational neighbor. And some people see it as working in the wider world. But I think that's a pretty mainstream Jewish belief. Is this the atmosphere, the ethic that you see being lived out also over in Israel? I, I assume you visited over there. Yeah, I actually lived in Israel. Quite remarkably, yes. If you think about, although I hate to bring up this past war, but I read these amazing things online about when the north was being evacuated and people just opened up their homes to take in refugees. I mean, it would be ads in papers and then it mushroomed. One person said, I'll take in, and then there were ads on the radio Call, you know, 444-5555 if you need a place to stay. We can house three people. We can house five people. I mean, it's very much, there's a lot of organizations in Israel to help the disabled, the you know, across the whole spectrum. It really does exist in Israel within itself. And then the other thing that Israel does that really the world doesn't know about is they send emissary aid, I don't know what the right word is, to the developing world a tremendous amount, particularly to Africa. You know, Israel has an amazing agricultural history, how they reclaimed the desert, and they really have experts in that. And they sent to places in Africa people to train and to help spread that kind of stuff all over the world. And I think that's part of the same mission. They've taken in Vietnamese boat people and a variety of things like that. Well, to get back to this project that you have destined heading to Haiti in January of '07. Why Haiti? I mean, there's certainly a lot of places in the world, including right there in Milwaukee, as you know, places where repairing and healing of the world has to go on. Why Haiti? Why does it specifically call to you? 
Yeah, there's a lot of places, obviously, in the world. Haiti happened to me almost by accident. I mean, it was just something I got an email that this was an opportunity for me to do some of the work I've wanted to do for a long time. But on reflection, I believe that things always happen for a reason. Haiti is only 700 miles from the U.S. It's 700 miles from Miami, about an hour and a half flight. It is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and the poverty compares to Sub-Saharan Africa. So here's our really our nearest neighbor to the wealthiest country in the world and sitting in this dire extreme poverty. So it really it spoke to me from that view. The other thing, just on a personal note, is I studied French in high school and college, and Haiti is a French-speaking country. So when I got there, I realized, oh, there must be a reason why I'm here, because I can communicate with people. So it really felt like it was a fit for me. And Gigi, you went on your first trip to Haiti with St. Thomas Aquinas of Naperville. Are you going to be going back with them? Are your future projects part of their overall structure? I'm still very much in touch with them, and they are really a wonderful partner. But the project that I'm going down to do in January, I'm doing on my own. I mean, one of the things, when I was down there, I was approached by a young man who was translating for us, who had started a preschool program. The young man's name is Jonas Alexis. He's 26 years old. And after he finished his high school secondary education, he wasn't able to go to the university, and he decided to go back to his hometown of Ducheney and give back to the community, and uh, he started this little preschool, and he approached me to help him. So he gave me this letter with some pictures of these uh, beautiful little children and said, you know, I have this preschool, and here's some of the things I need, and could you help me? And I went back to the place where we were staying, and I said to my roommate, so what am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) And she said, listen to your heart. So I kind of meditated on it a little bit, and I thought, this is something I can do. If I go back to Milwaukee, I could probably get people who would want to help this little preschool. Okay, I'll see what I can do. And that was really the first seed of saying, okay, I think I'm going to have an ongoing relationship. The church there is very strong, and the leadership in the church is very warm and open, and they were very open to continuing to work with me. And the church in Naperville was very open to partnering with me. So I went to them and I said, I'd like to raise some money for this school, and I don't know how to do it, and how do I send him money? And they said, you can send the money through us. People can donate tax-deductible to the church and we will make sure that the priest down in Haiti will oversee the distribution of the funds. So that's what happened first, and it's worked very well. I've gotten donations for that program. We send money to the priest, and he gives money to Jonas for the school. I was then approached by another woman that I met who, this is an amazing person, one of the most amazing people I've ever met. Her name is Erta Papillon. Papillon means butterfly. And she is a midwife and also an educator. And in her work doing both of those things, she has accumulated a bunch of orphans. I say accumulated because they sort of just come to her. She delivers babies. Sometimes the mothers die. There's no prenatal care. There's no access to emergency care. Moms die in childbirth. 
happens much more often than we'd like to see. The week before we were down there, she lost two mothers and three babies, a set of twins, and so sometimes the babies die also, but sometimes the babies survive. So she currently has 25 orphans that she has been kind of watching out for. And she wanted to build an orphanage, and she had the land, but she didn't have the money for the building. So I was talking with her on the telephone, and I was emailing back and forth with her, and she told me all she needed was $18,000 to build this building. And I thought, $18,000 to build an orphanage to house these 25 children? That seems like nothing, you know, I'm living in America. (laughs) And so I approached a friend of mine who has a foundation, and the Jack and Lucy Rosenberg Foundation agreed to fund half of this orphanage. They said if I could raise the other, they would give me a matching grant. And so I'm in the process of raising funds for that. So one thing kind of led to another to another. And again, St. Thomas is the kind of fiscal intermediary. People write checks to St. Thomas. It's earmarked for the orphanage. And the money gets down to this program in Haiti. St. Thomas recently sent a group down. There was a turnover of the priest in the parish in Haiti, so they sent a group down to meet the new priest and make connections. And while they were there, they brought some of the information for my project and helped negotiate to hire an organizer down there for me. So I had been writing, emailing back and forth and having a little trouble deciding how much do I pay, what's the local wage, how do... It was kind of hard to negotiate, you know, writing in French back and forth. So they actually did the negotiations for me. So they're still helping me, but it is my project. That was a long way around to tell that story. So it's your project. Is this called the... Gigi Pomerantz project or is this a project of your congregation in Milwaukee or is it perhaps a project associated with SOIL, the group that you're connecting with uh, with respect to the dry composting toilets? Well, it's my brainchild. I came up with kind of this idea that I wanted to go back and I kind of put, again, put it out to the universe to see what response I got, and little by little people kind of came to me. And one of the connections that happened was I wrote to this Hesperian Foundation, which was where I read first about this idea about doing ecological toilets. So they put me in touch with this woman named Sasha Kramer, who together with Sarah Brownell had founded this organization called SOIL. The two of them have been working in Haiti for the last number of years, and Sasha just graduated from Stanford, I think a year ago, in ecology, and they have been working on composting toilets in Haiti. So unbeknownst to me, when I started thinking I wanted to go down there, there's already people doing this work, but they're doing the work in the northern part of Haiti in the town of Milo and the town of Bourne. And they were really excited that I was interested in doing it in the southwest part of Haiti, totally different area. So they offered to work together with me, and we've basically agreed to partner. When we go down there in January, the first thing we're going to do is visit their project, see what they've got going on the ground, learn how they have set things up so that we can maybe replicate or maybe do something that's different depending upon what the needs are in the community in Dushiti. I don't think you ever mentioned, Gigi, what SOIL, the S-O-I-L, the group's name stands for. SOIL stands for Sustainable Organic Integrated Livelihoods. 
And again, we both came up with basically the same idea at different times, and then we realized we had the same idea. And that is that by cleaning the soil and the water with the use of toilets, you can also improve the soil productivity through the use of compost and really improve people's livelihoods. People in Haiti, for the most part, do subsistence agriculture, which means they basically raise barely enough to feed themselves, feed their families. And there's very little for export or to sell because the soil is so depleted. They have a history of deforestation and a history of slash-and-burn farming. Slash-and-burn means they plant something, and instead of, like, rototilling the land, they burn the, you know, what's left of the crops, and that's a really bad way to treat the soil. And they have, because they're so poor, they don't have access to chemical fertilizers and whatnot, and therefore the soil is very depleted. Composting is a free way to fertilize. Once you have the compost made and you can reapply that to the soil, you can triple the productivity of the farmland. And that's my hope that that they will really be able to move themselves out of subsistence agriculture into something that's more productive. Gigi, it sounds like you're getting kind of far afield from your particular area of expertise in nursing. Uh, Where are you getting your expertise from? Is it all coming from this SOIL soil project? No, absolutely. Your friend Eli Gottfried is my expert. Eli is a soil management expert, currently going for his master's degree in agronomy. He also is very interested in doing developing world work. He will be doing some soil testing and hopefully teaching people down there how to do this testing because, again, the idea isn't for us really to go down and do this work but to enable the Haitians themselves to do the work. Is it only the two of you going down this time or how big of a project are you envisioning this to be? Right now I have five or six people who have expressed some interest. Eli is the only person who's made the definite commitment to come down. I have several students from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I spoke last spring to, they have a, a group called Third World Action, and they've been on the email list. So there's a couple of people from that group who are interested, so I think it will depend upon funding for them if they'll be able to join us. I have another woman from Minneapolis. She actually happens to be a relative who is also an ecologist and knows about soil work. She won't be able to join us in January because she has a conflict, but she will continue to work with us and possibly for future visits. So she's giving a lot of great input into funding and will help us probably with some grant writing when we get to that point. And we are open to input from anybody else who might be interested. So if there's any of your listeners who are interested, they can certainly contact me. I'd love to have them on the list. There's a lot of layers in this kind of work. I mean, there's the -the on-the-ground work in Haiti, and there's the development work here and fundraising and scientific research and the educational piece So there's really room for anybody who has interest to come up with something. I mean, I didn't know anything about composting toilets when I started this, and I'm not an expert yet, but I certainly have learned a lot. It just was something that spoke to me. It's kind of a weird thing to be spoken to by by toilets, I suppose, but that's what happens. So um, anybody who hears any of this and 
is interested, whether it be this project or the other two projects that I mentioned earlier, I really invite them to contact me. I would be more than happy to work with people who are interested. And how would they do that, Gigi? They can contact me through the Tikkun Ha'ir website or at gpomerantz at thi-milwaukee.org. And for those of us who are Hebrew-impaired, Pomerantz is spelled how? (laughs) P-O-M-E-R-A-N-T-Z. So your email address is G, the letter G, Pomerantz at thi-milwaukee.org, right? Yes. Are you open to people who are not Jewish being part of this project? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, anybody. Are you involving the Social Action Committee from Congregation Shiradash in this project that you're doing? I haven't yet formally, but in November, the previous parish priest from Dushadi, who is now currently studying nonprofit management at Notre Dame, will be visiting me in Milwaukee. And so that will be my first opportunity. I will be leading a service at our congregation, and he will be speaking, and uh, that will be my, kind of my formal introduction to the congregation. Everybody's heard me talk about stuff in Haiti, but I haven't made a formal presentation yet, and that will be my opportunity. I want to talk a little bit more about your experience down there in Haiti. You used a phrase, sometimes it's rendered as underdeveloped nation or developing nations. And I read in a Quaker journal just yesterday a reference to our country as an overdeveloped nation, that we, like many other countries of the world, are using resources at an unsustainable rate, at a rate that is not equitable with what is being left for other nations or for future generations. How did you react to what you saw going on in the United States after you got back from Haiti? And I ask this in part because I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa. And when I came back and looked at the U.S., I saw it with new eyes. I saw consumption in a way that was just really astonishing and really appalling. Absolutely. I was appalled. You know, it's sort of one of the reasons why I have three volunteers staying with me this week. I currently live alone. My children are grown and have left the home, and I have what I would consider a modest ranch house in Milwaukee, and I'm living in it all by myself. And you think about on Haitian terms, you know, probably 25 people could be living in this space. So whenever I have an opportunity, I open my doors to people to come and stay with me. The excess in this country sometimes makes me feel ill. And I do my own little job in whatever way I can to live in a sustainable way, you know, here, composting and conserving water and trying to drive as little as possible. But there's only so much that one person can do in our society. In the quick world, we have what we call testimonies. Amongst those, peace and other testimonies, we have one that's called the simplicity testimony, which refers to living appropriately with respect to your needs and what you actually use. Is there an equivalent kind of principle within Judaism? I don't think there is. I actually have studied the simplicity approach with a Quaker woman through Peace Action here in Milwaukee. I did that a number of years ago when my kids were still at home, so it's got to be maybe eight years ago. 
the three of us sat down, my, my two daughters and I, and really looked at the way we live in light of that. But I don't believe there is in Judaism that same kind of imperative. There certainly is very common practice within Judaism of carrying out witness of doing good things in the world. Do you have any special way of naming that within Judaism? Well, tikkun olam is probably the way I would name it. There are a lot of imperatives in Judaism about justice, and I just think that different people embody them in different ways in their lives. There's another Jewish belief about justice that I actually wear around my neck. (laughs) It's said that the world stand in a very delicate balance and that any one action can set that balance to the good or to the evil. And I wear on my neck scales of justice. People are always asking me if I'm a lawyer or a Libra, and I say, no, I'm just a worker for justice in the world. And it reminds me constantly that I can make a choice every moment to make an activity that will make a difference. And it might be as much as you know, smiling and acknowledging somebody that you pass on the street. And it might be as big as seeing the lack of sanitation in a place that's such a close neighbor that needs to be fixed and deciding that that's something I want to work on. All of those things, I do feel it comes from a Jewish imperative to set the world in the right balance. Broken hearts Shattered visions Piece together One by one on another The world's destroyed But save a life And you will save
That was Debbie Friedman at Carnegie Hall with her song, Save a Life. You're listening to an interview with Gigi Pomerantz of Milwaukee's congregation Shir Hadash. Do you see yourself as a political person as well as a social activist? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Very much. Particularly since about 2003. Like I mentioned earlier, I've been doing social justice work in various kinds in my community for many, many years. And I think it was either 2002 or 2003, during the High Holidays, our rabbi was giving the High Holiday Sermon, and I could not tell you exactly what he said, but something in it, like, made a light bulb go off for me, that all the work that I had been doing up until that time was for naught, if we didn't make some bigger changes, that you can feed the hungry forever, but unless you teach people how to earn enough money or, you know, that you have a living wage or that they can have a garden that produces enough to feed them, whatever it might take, that we were going to be feeding the hungry forever. And I realized at that point that political change was what needed to happen. I mean, I always knew that we needed political change, but I realized that it was my turn to help bring that about. And I became very active in the 2004 election. I was probably one of the top ten volunteers in the Kerry campaign in Milwaukee at that time. And I've been very active in the Democratic Party locally. Some people think it's important to keep religion and politics separate. How do you end up looking at that? I think there should be a separation of church and state, so if that's what we mean by politics and religion. But I personally think that Judaism informs everything that I do in life. And so if that's what you mean by politics and religion being separate, there's no way you can separate them. Judaism is what gives me the values that I bring to the world, and politics is based on values. As a progressive much to, I think, 
the opposite of what the right says, that, you know, family values that we don't have them, et cetera. I think progressive values are very strong for peace and justice, for care of the poor and the downtrodden. Actually, it was just reading in the Torah portion from this past week where it talks about once you have harvested, you cannot pick up anything that's been left or dropped, whether it's your fruit trees or whether it's your wheat fields or whatever it is, so that the widow, the orphan, and the poor can go in after in your fields and take what is left. And we use that very often for when we go to serve at a soup kitchen or something. We are taking, as it were, our excess from our fields and bringing it to them because obviously we're not living right now in this agricultural community where people can come in and glean from our fields. So we have to reinterpret that. What does that mean? And it is our command to help feed the poor, the hungry. Gigi, you mentioned the high holidays. And I'm thinking that a lot of my listeners don't know what you're referring to when you speak of the high holidays. Maybe they think you're speaking of Christmas or Hanukkah or the New Year's that we know. What are the high holidays for you, and what part do they play in your beliefs? The high holidays is a period, really, of 10 days between Rosh Hashanah, which is the head or the beginning of our year, and Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. So we celebrate on Rosh Hashanah the creation of the world, and then particularly over those next 10 days, it is a time of tremendous introspection because every year at Yom Kippur, it is kind of like the Day of Judgment for us. It is said that on Yom Kippur, it is decided what your fate will be for the next year. Those who think more literally think about God writing our name in the book of life or the book of death for the next year. Those like myself who come from a more kind of modernistic tradition still use it as a time of reflection where we fell short over the past year from our own expectations and what we think the divine's expectations might have been of us and how we can take stock of that and improve over the next year. And on Yom Kippur, it's a day of fasting where you really remove yourself from the world to be able to get into that space in a very deep way. And what would you do in your Reconstructionist sect of Judaism? What would you do in your congregation to actually celebrate this or to commemorate this? We meet as a congregation, and on Yom Kippur in particular, we spend almost the entire day in the synagogue. The fast begins at sunset in the evening, so we meet right after our meal, and we pray for several hours, and then we meet again and starting early in the morning through mid-afternoon. We get a little break to take a nap in the middle of the afternoon to kind of tide you through your hunger, as it were. And then we meet again in the later afternoon, and the supplicatory prayers in the afternoon are quite intense because metaphorically we kind of envision the gates closing and the decision being made. You know, it's a very, we do it as a community. At Judaism, prayer is very much a communal thing, and yet obviously everybody is in their own place and space in terms of what's going on for them. And our congregation has, I think, one of the most beautiful practices that I don't know if it exists anywhere else, but as we're getting into that late afternoon time, 
we open the Ark of the Torah where our Torah scrolls are stored, and family units and groups of friends are invited to come and stand in front of the Torah and make their own supplication or blessings or prayers together. We have some music in the background, and one by one, family units come up, and it's quite it's, it's quite a moving time. I have friends who join our congregation just in the evening for that prayer to join us. And then at the very end of, as the sun goes down, we blow the shofar, which is a ram's horn, quite a powerful thing, and in our congregation, anybody who happens to have one is invited, so it's not like just one person standing in front blowing, like in many congregations, but we have maybe anywhere from six to a dozen people standing around the edges and blow the horn, and then we break bread and have a potluck meal together, so it's quite lovely. If people wanted to connect up with your congregation down there in Milwaukee, Gigi, how would they do that? They would probably look on our website. For our congregation, which is Congregation Shir Hadash, is cshmilw.org. And you can find out about us and when our services are. Again, we are a small congregation, and some weeks we meet Friday evenings, and some weeks we meet Saturday mornings, so it is important to look on the website. We also don't have our own home. We meet in the basement of Congregation Bethel Ner Tamid, which is conservative congregation, again showing that Jews of different stripes can actually live together. I want to make sure that folks know how to connect with you and how to learn about your projects. First of all, they can email you at gpomerantz at thi-milwaukee.org, and that's through Tikkun Hayir. Again, what is the organization that your dry compost toilet project is associated with, and what is their website? Its organization is Soil, Sustainable Organic Integrated Livelihoods, and you can find them at www.oursoil.org. So that's O-U-R-S-O-I-L dot O-R-G. Yes. So if people are going to send a contribution to help out on your project, who or where would they be sending that through? If you would like to make a donation to our project, the best thing is to go onto the Our Soil website. The check would be made to CENSA, C-E-N-S-A, which is the Center for the Study of the Americas, which is the fiscal agent currently for soil. And in the memo of the check, you would write soil and then slash douchity, D-U-C-H-I-T-Y, so that they would know that that was for our project in douchity. So, Gigi, do you ever rest? I mean, with all your activities as a nurse practitioner, your work with Tikkun Hayir, the work with the Social Action Committee of your congregation, with this project to Haiti, I can't imagine you ever get eight hours of sleep per night. (laughs) I actually do sleep close to eight hours. (laughs) I think things are put in front of me that are doable. That's all I can say. I have support all along the way. Things seem to come together, that people appear that need to be there to help. And 
It just happens. I think it happens because you're willing to be God's hands. And I want to really just hold up the example of your ministry, the example of how one person stepping forward can make such a difference as it inspires other people to add their strengths to the effort, and it ends up tipping the balance in the universe in a healthier, more whole, more holy direction, just like the scales that you wear around your neck remind us. You're doing great work, Gigi, and I hope things go smoothly in January when you, Eli, and others head down to Haiti. Thanks for your work. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And thank you, Gigi. You've been listening to an interview with Gigi Pomerantz, creator of a project associated with sustainable organic integrated livelihoods for Haiti. You can hear this program again via my website, northernspiritradio.org, and you can find other programs and helpful links and information on that webpage as well. The theme music for Spirit in Action is I Have No Hands But Yours by Carol Johnson. Thank you for listening. I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. You can email me at helpsmeet at usa.net. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. I have no higher cause for you than peace To love and serve your neighbor Enjoy and And serve your neighbor in joy and selflessness.